Good morning. Um, you may be able to tell from the video, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in Philippians this morning. So um, if you have your Bible, if you still carry that thing, um, open that to Philippians. Uh, for all of you that are like me, uh, get out your phone or your iPad and uh, make your way to Philippians. Uh, it's interesting how we're all uh, creatures of, of, of habit. You know, there's so many people out this morning, but you're all sitting in your same seats. It's, I was noticing that as we were going through worship. Uh, interesting you guys would probably not let me let, ever lead worship again if you knew what went through my head while we're leading worship but yeah I'm looking out and I'm like wow there's so many empty seats but you guys are all sitting in your exact spots it's, it's funny start putting some name tags on or something um this is a privilege for me uh, I don't get to do this very often um uh it's uh, it's exciting you know to get to be able to to open God's word and and and, and talk with you guys like this a uh, little different occasion for me but uh, I'm excited um I think uh, we have something to uh, to say this morning, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll convey that um, fairly clearly. We'll see. Um, I did tell Teresa earlier, uh, actually last night, uh, when I get excited, um, when I um, get nervous, I, I tend to speak really fast. And so I told her to give me one of these if uh, if I start going too fast. And so I'm gonna go ahead and let you guys uh, in on that too. If I if I get going and uh, I'm talking too fast, just just give me one of these, and uh, we'll slow down a little bit. Uh, my nanny, which is my mom's mom, we used to be talking to her, and all the time she'd be like, Chad, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I, can't, I can't understand you because you're talking too fast. And I'm like, what's wrong, nanny? I'm just, I'm just talking. But yeah, so uh, sometimes when I get excited, I'm telling a story or something, I do kind of start talking a little fast. So uh, just give me one of those. Tell me to kind of slow down. Um, I hope you guys had a good week. Um, unless you won the lottery, uh, it probably wasn't as good as mine. So... Um, <laughs> I'm going to, if you'll give me just a few minutes, I'm going to recap kind of what we did this last week. Most of you probably know because you're on Facebook, uh, and my wife is a, uh, what's the the word here, Um, maybe, maybe addict? No, but uh, she's all about posting some pictures on Facebook. So uh, we just spent the week in Alaska. Um, If you guys, has anybody been to Alaska? I know I've talked to a couple of you guys who have been like on a cruise or something like that. Uh, If you haven't been to Alaska, you need to go. Um, It's one of those places if you have a bucket list, you need to put it on there. If you don't have a bucket list, you need to get yourself a bucket and a list. Um, it's, it's a really cool place. Um, I've only been to maybe two places so far, which I haven't been everywhere, but I've only been to like maybe two or three places where I tell people you need to go here. Uh, most places, it's like, hey, it's a beach, it's sand, it's water. You know, it's the same thing. It doesn't matter where you go. But Alaska's different. Um, it's just, you try to find an adjective to describe it, and it's just, it doesn't really do it justice. Uh, you know, breathtaking, um, incredible, awe. It's uh, just inspiring. It's it's big. It's huge. It's colossal. It's uh, everywhere you turn. It's just it's just big. And I I just kept thinking that I'd, I'd find myself a lot during this week, um, either sitting out on the deck or walking around in towns or something, and I would just be like, wow, you know, just randomly wow, just like wow, this is crazy. This is like this is like another world, and it's. It really is. You get off the you get off the plane in Seattle, and you know everything's normal. You know Seattle's a little different, but you get off the plane, you're still in America. Um, and then once you head up there and, and you you get in the uh, you know into Alaska, it it really feels like you're kind of stepping into this this different world kind of thing. And it's just it's crazy. But uh, you guys need to go. You guys need to um, find time and get to Alaska. It's super cool. Um, couple things that stuck out to me we got to go on a plane ride over a glacier and so 
I don't know if maybe you guys, I mean, I might be the only person here that thought this, but I was, I was under the impression that glaciers were like these huge mountains of ice. And I don't know if maybe I've seen a picture of that somewhere that I was growing up, but I just had this mental image of this big piece of ice that kind of came to a point, and it's just kind of like floating out there in the middle of an ocean kind of thing. Does anybody else have that, or is it, am I the only one? Yeah, I'm the only one. Awesome. <laughs> so you all, you all know about glaciers, right? You're all glacier pros. You got it figured out. They're actually these really huge rivers, and uh, it, it's hard to describe them, but they're just massive pieces of ice that look like rivers, and they're kind of just winding down through these mountains, and I mean, some of the ones we saw, they're like five or six miles wide. They're half a mile high, and just ice. It's just, it's crazy, and I guess it never really dawned on me that it's actual kind of river of ice. I'm just thinking like this huge mountain. So that kind of struck me. I didn't really expect that, I guess. Kind of a little different for me. Uh, another one was we, we stopped at Juneau, which was cool. Um, the only way to get there is from boat or plane. So, I mean, you're not going anywhere to visit anybody. Uh, and so you're just out there. You're in the middle of nowhere. Um, then we went to a little town called Skagway, which uh, it really feels like you're in a western. Um, you get off the boat and you start walking into town and it's like, this town was built in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it really feels like you're kind of walking into this western. Uh, the streets are super wide. You can tell they're not made with our two lanes and a sidewalk. It's um, all the sidewalks. It's not even a sidewalk. It's wood. It's kind of wood planks that make up the sidewalk, and it's, it's just crazy. It feels like you're kind of going back in time. So Skagway, we drove up to the Yukon area, right? Is that where we went? Yukon, which apparently not very many people have gone there, so we're pretty special. Um, the guy told us that, like, at least 15 times on the tour bus. He's like, not too many people have been to the Yukon, and they just kept telling us, so I guess people haven't been. But one of the craziest parts, we're going up, we're about 3,000 feet in the air, something like that, above sea level. Oh, not in the air, we're actually on the ground. Above sea level, and um, we're just driving along. He says the temperature gets down to, like, minus 80, somewhere around there, you know, during the winter. When we were there, I think it was probably 50 or something like that. But we're driving along. There's snow out there. You can see the mountains. And then all of a sudden, we turn this corner, and there's like a desert. Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, what? And so we turn this corner, and there's just these sand dunes of actual, like a desert. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> we just went to the twilight zone or something. There's no deserts in the cold. But uh, yeah, it's just, uh, that was crazy. We got to go to a dog musher, musher camp, musher, I think that's how you say it. It's basically where they uh, train the dogs for the dog sled. If there's any of you PETA people here, um, don't feel sorry for the dogs. Um, they're treated very, very nicely. Um, probably better than most of us. So <laughs> they're, not, they're not hurting. And, and the crazy part is they're, they're, it's like they're excited about pulling the sled. That's like all they want to do. Um, they're just in line. They're barking. They're going crazy waiting for their turn to pull the sled. So we got to do that. That was pretty cool. Um, last part we went to, last town we actually stopped in was this little town called Ketchikan. Um, really cool little, kind of just on the water there. But yeah, it's just, it's a cool place. You guys really, really need to go see it. So that's my endorsement for Alaska. Um, if you want to go, I know a couple travel agents that uh, can hook you up. <laughs> Maybe actually three, I actually know three travel agents <laughs> that can hook you up. Uh, the curly-headed one's probably the best one, so y'all should go to that one. <laughs> So uh, Pastor Mark has been uh, taking us through the book of James in a series he's calling Practical. Uh, you guys know we've been there for a while. He, he jokes that we've been there for about a year. Uh, it doesn't seem that long to me. It's been, it's been uh, just really good for me, uh, a great series. 
we've been going through. And I think it's uh, that practical is, is such a good name for what we've been learning. Um, it seems that every time we're, we're studying something, it's something super practical that just hits, hits us kind of where we are. Um, if you've been with us, you know the, the thing that kind of keeps coming up throughout the study of James is this idea of having a divided heart. Um, you know, we kind of, we want the things of God, but then we also want them on our terms, right? Um, and that kind of keeps just popping up over and over uh, in the book of James. Um, they, we, we want all that God has to offer, but we kind of want them on our terms. And, um, you know, how many times have we prayed something along the lines of, if you do this, God, I'll do that. Everybody's prayed that before. You don't have to agree with me. I know you have. Um, especially if you're a, a boy in elementary school, you know, God, if you'll just let that girl, if you'll just let that girl go out with me, I'll, I'll do this, you know. Uh, if you'll, if you'll give me that job, then I will, I will, you know, I'll give you 20% of my income, you know. If you'll, if you'll give me this house, if you'll save my life, I'll be a missionary. All these things that we, we bargain with God, as if he's someone to be bargained with, but uh, we do that. Uh, the last time I actually got the opportunity to speak with you guys, it was, uh, I think it was a little over two years ago. And um, if you guys remember, if you were here, um, we looked at some um, examples in Scripture of people who had to wait. Um, and we kind of looked at um, different people who had been promised something, but then it didn't just um, automatically come, you know, happen overnight. And they had to sit and they had to wait and wait on God. Uh, so during that, I, I shared our story of Calvin, where we were at that moment. And where we were at that moment is um, we had been approved through the adoption agency, and we were just waiting. And that's kind of where we were. Um, if you don't know much about the adoption process, I'll give you a little quick synopsis of that. Basically, you fill out a thousand pages of paperwork, and the FBI does a background check on you, and it's crazy. Drug tests, everything. If you name it, you probably have to do it in uh, the adoption agency. So we went through all that, and uh, we actually got approved. They actually let us in. And then uh, after that, you have to make this book, which is a little weird because you're, you're kind of talking about how great you are, but then you don't want to come across as arrogant. So you try not to you know, say too much, but then you, you want them to like you. So it's just a weird balance of, uh, of you know, talking about yourself and your hobbies and stuff like that. And basically, that's how the mom chooses who she wants to, to meet with. And so we were kind of in that process. So we were just kind of waiting, just sitting around waiting, um, you know, what was going to happen. So uh, as you guys know, we did get uh, selected. And we got Mia. I think she's here somewhere. <laughs> she's not jumped up and down. Um, and the crazy part is that I can't imagine a kid that's uh, more perfect for our family. It's a... Uh, it's crazy just uh, to see her. She looks just like her mom, which is crazy. Uh, Ron and Nancy actually had a picture of, of Teresa when she was around Mia's age, and it's, it's weird how much they look alike. Um, when uh, we showed Mia the picture, she kept saying, that's me, that's me. And so, yeah, so she looks just like Teresa, and the, the poor little girl, she, she tends to act like me, so we'll, <laughs> we'll pray that she outgrows that. Hey. <laughs> Well, today is her two-year birthday. Yeah. Hey. She is two today, and it's uh, crazy to me. It just happens that the next time I get to speak is on her two-year birthday when we spent most of the time that Sunday talking about waiting. So I'm going to ask Teresa and Mia to go ahead and come up if you guys don't mind. Hey, come on. Come here. It's funny because she's a... Uh, she gets a little bashful in front of people. 
Look, look at all those people. People always ask us, like, does she ever talk? I'm like, yeah, she never shuts up. But when we get around, we get around people, she gets a little bashful. You can come up there. Um, so I thought Mia is crazy about music. If you guys have been here doing worship, you know she's usually over here. She's bouncing up and down and, and screaming and hollering and all that, clapping her hands. She loves music, and uh, she's probably going to get embarrassed, um, but we're going to sing her happy birthday. Is that okay? Is that cool? Can you guys help me? Here we go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Mia. Happy birthday to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you going? You going? Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> no. All right. So before we get started this morning. Um, actually, actually get started before we really make our way to Philippians. I want to pray, if that's okay. Um, take it just a couple minutes and, and really just kind of dedicate the next couple minutes. So if you'll pray with me. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you, Lord, that in, in times of need, in times of trials, in times of, of wonder and chaos, God, that we can open your, your, uh, the scriptures, we can open your words, and we can, we can see your promises, and we can see the truth that's there and black and white. And God, I just asked, Lord, this morning, um, as we make our way through Philippians, I asked, Lord, that you would um, that you'd speak to us. I ask God that you'd remove the junk that I throw out there that's not necessary. And I ask God that uh, the truth of, of what we're studying this morning would, be, would become real in our hearts and our lives. And uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so it's 1025. I will try to have you out by 1030. <laughs> we were... Uh, I think Kilp said something this morning. It's like, uh, you know, if we're going to get out by 11 or something. I was like, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Um, so you guys might have about an hour and 20 minutes to do your, your Bible study. But uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so Philippians is a, uh, it's a little bit of a different book for Paul. Paul's uh, the one writing. And um, Paul tends to spend most of his letters um, kind of focusing on a, a, a certain concern a certain, a specific kind of problem that's in that church. And so usually what he'll do is he have his, his introduction, which is pretty much standard for him, but then he'll spend most of the letter kind of um, touching on those, those specific current, uh, concerns, those specific problems that's um, kind of unique to that church. Okay, so what I want to do before we really get into Philippians is look at uh, a few of his letters, a few of his examples, and kind of go through, I guess, kind of some background, some, uh, some foundation for what I just said, the whole... Um, the fact that he's kind of pointing out concern. So we're going to start in Romans, and uh, Paul lays out God's anger, God's anger against sin. And, uh, and th- you know, this is the, the, the chapter that a lot of preachers will use, um, you know, especially, I think it was a few months ago. How long has it been since the gay marriage passed? You know, the only thing we heard about was Romans 1. God's angry with this. God's going to judge. God's, you know, this mad. And so they spend a lot of time in, in chapter 1 talking about all of the things that angers God. What a lot of preachers don't spend a lot of time is looking at chapter 2, verse 1. So we're going to read that together. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. You may think you can condemn such, pe- such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. So God just, or Paul just laid out all the things that God's angry at, and you know all the Christians are like, yeah, get them, Paul. And then chapter 2 is like, well, you guys are doing the same things. 
So obviously there was a, a few issues going on in the church of Rome. I won't spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. We just came out of the study with that. But just a refresher, you guys remember 1 Corinthians? He basically dives right in from the beginning on the division in the church. There seems to be a lot of division, so he spends a lot of time kind of addressing that. 2 Corinthians, um, you remember what's going on there? Um, people are, are basically letting people teach things that went against um, what had brought them to Christ in the first place. You know, the one thing that Mark likes to talk out or point out a lot in 2 Corinthians is they seem to have this, uh, this couple that was a, a son and a stepmom, and they were kind of doing their thing, and uh, they seem to be flaunting it a little bit, you know, just like, oh, look at us, look at our grace, look how gracious we are, you know, we're allowing this kind of thing. So, you know, some pretty messed up stuff going on there. Real quick in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians is something I think that could probably be most churches. Uh, they seem to be wrestling with the fact that, that God has brought them into his family. So he, uh, he spends most of the first three chapters just basically reminding the church in Ephesus of who they are, that they're part of the, the, they're part of the family, they're God's kids. Uh, Colossians is real similar to, to Ephesus. They're having a hard time accepting the truth of who they are. Um, and then so Paul spends a lot of time just reminding them of their freedom in Christ. So you hear that a lot in Colossians, just your freedom, your freedom, and just constantly reminding them that they're, they're free. We could keep going. You know, there's plenty more books that Paul wrote, but I think you kind of get my point. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through um, kind of the first two chapters real quick, just kind of give you some background of that, and then we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 3 this morning. So um, what I wanted to do is um, start off with Philippians um, chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1 through 11. So a lot of scripture here, but just hang with me. Okay, uh, verse 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ. I'm writing to all of God's holy people, people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So this is a pretty standard opening for Paul. He lets them know right up front who he is writing, or who is writing, and who he is writing to. And, uh, you know, he usually describes himself in some way. He uh, uses bondservant, slave, apostle, something like that, some kind of way of uh, letting them know kind of who he is, maybe his authority, something like that. But in this case, he actually uses uh, a slave of Christ. And so that's kind of how he de describes himself. So we'll keep reading here. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you. For you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So this sounds like an opening, basically, of someone writing to their friends, right? It seems like it's, uh, it's very cordial, it's very nice, it's very uh, polite. And it sounds like he's kind of just kind of just writing a letter to his friends. Uh, it, it sounds like he's kind of talking to people that he would put on his, his same level, people that are kind of his equal, if you will. Um, they're working alongside of him, and uh, there's no rebuking, uh, there's no pointing out concerns. There's just someone telling them how much he loves them. Um, and to be honest, it kind of sounds like a letter that we would love for Paul to write to us, um, just telling us how well we're doing, that we're 
fighting with them and we're, we're working with them. And it sounds like a letter that we would love to hear, you know, the great Paul write to us. Uh, he goes on through the re- rest of chapter 1 talking about his personal struggle of wanting to be with God in heaven and staying here on earth to do the work he has appointed for him. You guys probably remember s- some of those passages of, you know, I long to be here, I long to be in heaven, but it's probably better for you that I stay. That's kind of where what we're talking about here. He reminds them that they are citizens of heaven, and uh, he also reminds them to not be intimidated by their enemies. He starts chapter 2 encouraging them to have the attitude of Christ, uh, reminding them to love one another, work together, and humble themselves. And that brings us to uh, verses 6 through 8 of chapter 2. Verse 6, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So we could probably spend the rest of the morning just kind of thinking and talking through that whole passage right there. I mean, if you just stop and just really kind of think about what you just read. Um, one thing that, that Mark points out a lot, you know, is that we, we tend to forget to think. We, f- we tend to forget to, uh, to think our way the scriptures as we're reading them um, a lot of times we kind of just automatically revert back to you know five-year-old or six-year-old or ten-year-old self they got saved and you heard all these scriptures and you kind of just it just kind of goes in a lot of times we don't stop and actually think about what we just read um, so here we have the son of god jesus with all authority and power yet it tells us that he humbled himself to god it tells us that jesus humbled himself to God. Man, is that hard, right? That's a tough one, humbling yourself before anybody, really. Um, God, maybe not as hard, but humbling yourself before each other, that's a tough one. I'm not going to spend too much time on this one because we're actually going to touch on that a little bit later, but uh, I just wanted to point out the fact that Jesus actually made the decision to humble himself. Um, It's pretty clear that he humbled himself, Um, and I I think that's important as we, as we move forward this morning that you uh, kind of wrap your head around the fact that Jesus made that decision to humble himself. With everything that he was, all the power, everything that he could do, he humbled himself. Do you remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Humbleness is a choice. But it's a hard choice to make if we still consider ourselves better than everyone else. I'll say that again. Humbleness is a choice. It's a hard choice to make if we still consider ourselves better than everyone else. We'll move on. (laughs) He goes on from here to encourage them to shine bright in a world full of crooked and perverse people. And to commend, he actually uh, takes a little bit of time to commend both Timothy and Epaphroditus. So this is a guy I should probably study a little bit, Epaphroditus. Anybody know anything about him? Because I don't. No one? Good. (laughs) He's mentioned, so he must be pretty important. We should spend some time studying this guy. Uh, So that brings us to chapter 3, where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Um, Again, we're going to go through a a decent amount of scripture, so try to stay with me. Um, But uh, the stuff will be on the screen if you want to read along. So we're going to start off in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. We're just going to read all the way from 1 to 11, okay? Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. 
For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what, God, what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so, ze- so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. It's a pretty cool passage, right? Starts off with Paul telling them that whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. That's tough. I know there's some people here who are going through some tough stuff. Um, things that a lot of us maybe couldn't even imagine. Paul's very clear, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And I'm not going to act like I know the answer to that, but rejoice in the Lord. That's, that's a tough one. If you spend any time on Facebook, you know that that's hard. <laughs> you know, it's tough for people to rejoice in the Lord in all circumstances. Uh, you know, Facebook, uh, social media, this whole thing, it, it tends to be a lot of, um, it's kind of a dumping ground. It's kind of this place where you can just go and just, bleh, you know, just vomit out everything that, that's, that's wrong. And uh, I think a lot of it is kind of like a, I don't know, you want somebody to come along beside you and tell you, you know, they've been there too, that they, they understand, that kind of thing. Um, and I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Um, that's not my point. But the point is I'm trying to, to drive home is uh, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. Um, I mean, how do you rejoice when everything around you seems to be falling apart? How do you rejoice when you find out you have cancer? How do you rejoice when uh, maybe your marriage is falling apart? Um, you lose your job. How do you rejoice in that? Uh, again, I'm not going to give you an answer to that. I just want you to want you to kind of think. I want you to kind of think this morning. Um, verse 3 kind of gives us a little bit of an answer to that, so let's look at that. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So this is my opinion, um, and let me preface this by um, telling you that I didn't go to seminary school. I don't have a theology degree or anything like that. This is just Chad's opinion, okay? So take that for what it's worth. Just this bald guy up here talking. This is my opinion. Um, I believe the reason it's, it's so hard for us to rejoice in whatever happens is that we really deep down believe we make our own destiny. I think that um, deep down we really, I don't know that we trust God deep down. And if, you're, if you don't trust him, it's hard to rejoice in the hard times, right? We put a lot of hope in the here and now. We put a lot of effort in the here and now. Does anybody know Francis Chan? You guys, you guys have heard any of his stuff? I was going to try to get a rope, but I figured I'll just uh, explain his uh, illustration he used one time. I was watching a video. So he has this rope, 
And on the end, he took about an inch of it, and he wrapped it in electric tape, black electric tape, a white rope. And he, he kind of stretches it across the, the stage, and he tells them, just imagine that this rope is infinite. Imagine that this rope does not stop. There's no end to this rope. So whatever that looks like for you, maybe it, it goes out of Lufkin, out of Texas, it wraps around the world, it goes into space, whatever it does. Uh, maybe it's just coiled up over here, but the rope doesn't end. No end to the rope. It's interesting how we have this one inch at the beginning, and this is our life. This is our time on earth. And then we have all this rope with no end. And we put so much effort and so much emphasis on this little inch. It kind of puts it in perspective of just how important we place on our time, our lives, our, our situations, our, our jobs, our just whatever. And um, when we have all of eternity with God. We have all of eternity, no end. I mean, just try to wrap your mind around that. No end. And we spend so much effort trying to make this good. We spend so much time and effort trying to make this happy. Um, we can put so much confidence in our human effort. And I believe this is why legalism is so rampant. I believe it's easier to rely on ourselves than it is to rely on what Christ has done for us. I don't know about you, um, it's easier for me to check the boxes as I go through the day than to just simply trust. If I'm trusting, then there's really no, there's no end point. There's no, I've arrived. There's no, I did good. There's no pat on the back. There's nothing if I'm just trusting. Um, but if you're checking off the boxes, you know, I, I read my Bible. I, I got up and prayed. I, I did these. Not that those are bad things. That's not my point. But my point is when that's your salvation, and I think that's why legalism is such a big deal in just Christianity because it's hard. It's hard to trust, right? It's tough. It's tough trusting. I mean, let's think about it. Who's seen God? How many of you guys have seen him? Good. No liars here this morning. <laughs> How many of you have touched him? Nobody? How many of you have heard him? There may be a few. We've heard stories of people actually saying they heard the voice of God. So we're basing all of our trust on someone we've never seen, someone we've never touched, someone we've never heard. That's tough. Just be honest, that's tough. It's a lot easier for me to say I can get to heaven if I do these things than to say all of my eggs are in his basket. Right? I mean, that's tough. You're just trusting. You're trusting. And uh, that, to me, is one of the big reasons I feel like we just revert back to legalism all the time. It's just, it's, it's, easier, it's easier to have confidence in our own abilities than a promise that is to come. It just is. And if we're just being honest, it's easier to just check off the boxes and to know that you did a good job than to trust in this magnificent promise that is to come, this endless rope. <laughs> it's tough. It is tough. So Paul spends verses 4 through 6 telling us that if anyone has a reason to have confidence in their own effort, it's him. So let's look at some of this stuff. Verse 4. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. So listen to this resume. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. A real Hebrew, if there ever was one. 
I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. What about that last line? <laughs> as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Who here can say that? And just to be clear, Paul's not talking about the Big Ten. He's not talking about the Ten Commandments here. Um, I believe there's somewhere around 613, 613 different laws, commands, do's, don'ts, that kind of stuff. So this is what Paul's talking about. I obeyed all 600 plus without fault. In case you're not clear, that means he didn't mess up. We can't even make it through a day without messing up a tin, right? <laughs> and if you're really good, maybe you make it through a day and you, you make it through a week. Um, if you're exceptionally good, maybe you make it through a month. You're better than all of us. But yeah, we struggle with just keeping the tin. But Paul here is claiming, a little arrogantly I might add, that he obeyed it all without fault. All 600 plus. So let's take away all the other things, the, the fact that he was a true Jew, the fact that he's a tribe of Benjamin, the fact that he's a Pharisee, all these other things that he could boast about, that alone ought to be enough. If Paul was walking the earth today, he would have the biggest church, right? He would have the biggest church ever because everybody would want to be like Paul. Everybody would want to be like this guy. I mean, he's doing it. He's following the law to a T. He is, he's doing everything that we can't do, so let's, let's figure out what his secret is. Right? He would have the biggest, biggest church you can imagine because he, he did it. He makes that claim that he, above, he obeyed the law without fault. And just let that sink in. I know I keep saying that, but just let that sink in for a minute that this guy actually obeyed the law without fault. All 600 plus. That's crazy to me. But in true Paul fashion, he quickly turns the spotlight back onto Christ in verse 7. So we're going to read verse 7 through 9. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. So here we have Paul, who just claimed that he obeyed the law without fault, never messed up, saying that he considers all of that, he considers all of these things worthless because of what Christ has done. Wow. The one word that I really want to kind of focus on just for a second is he, he says everything. He says that everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ my Lord. So what falls under everything? Not a trick question. What falls under everything? Everything, right? All of it. Everything. My job? Is that part of everything? My family? Uh, my self-worth? My health? Uh, my desires? My hopes? Um, what else? Possessions. Name a couple things. What's it? Dreams. Education. Chat out some more. What, what's some things that falls under everything? Children. Hmm. Ancestors. Finances. 
All this hopes, all this is, falls technically under everything, right? It's part of everything. Something that God has been working on me lately, um, just going to be a little honest with you guys, is that um, I am at my core a selfish guy. Um, I don't think that's unique to me, but I think that's something that God's been working on me on, is that at my core, I'm a selfish guy. I'll be completely honest with you and admit that it's hard for me to say that everything else is worthless. Something I'm struggling with big time. There's, uh, there's probably 99% of the things that I can say are worthless, but then there's those few things that I'm just like, mm, I don't know that they're really worthless. You know what I mean? I can spend a lot of, uh, a lot of energy chasing things that I believe will further his kingdom. Anybody have that problem? <laughs> but most of the time, those things that I'm chasing are selfish desires disguised as God things, right? So I'm going to write the next best song, right? I'm going to write something that's going to blow your socks off. Does God need that? But no, but, you know, it'd be really cool. It'd be really cool if I could stand up here and, and write a song and all of a sudden you guys would just everybody leapt to your feet, threw your hands in the air and sang crazy loud. That'd be, that'd be super cool. Who wouldn't want that? I mean, if you're not a songwriter, that'd be pretty cool, right? Is that, is it necessary? And I'm not saying these are bad. I'm not, if you're a songwriter, please don't stop writing songs. Um, but a lot of times I think we can, we can use our, our God things, the things that, you know, we, f- we feel like are going to further his kingdom. And a lot of times they're just disguised as uh, our own selfish desires. And I guess uh, you could say that a lot of times um, I have a divided heart. Does that sound familiar to you guys? Does it hit home to anybody there? What about you? What are the things you're holding on to? Can you say they are worthless compared to knowing Christ your Lord? I don't want us to leave here this morning feeling beat up. That's not my goal. My goal isn't for you to walk out with your head hanging, you know, I'm a terrible Christian, any of that. That's not, that's not my goal. I'm actually uh, kind of setting you up. And um, actually, I think Paul is kind of setting us up for this next section of Scripture. So we're going to look at um, verse 10 through 11, Kip. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. This is a tough one. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Practically speaking, I don't know that we can say these words, what we just read, until we have gotten to the place of Paul, a place where we can say that everything else is worthless. You see, if we are still putting worth in the things of this world, it's impossible to really say, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. We might be able to say it, but there's going to be nothing behind it. And it's really going to be hard to say, I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. It's impossible to really say and mean those words because those are words of a person who has died to the things of this world. And let's be honest, the things of this world are pretty sweet right? I love technology. I'm a little Napoleon Dynamite fans. I love technology. Anybody? Napoleon Dynamite? I'm the only one that saw that. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I love technology. Um, I have a smartwatch. I have a phone. I have an iPad. Everything is revolved around technology in my life, and I love it. Uh, it's cool. It's, uh, it makes life so much easier. I have an app on my iPad that has all the songs that we sing, so I can just pull it up and play the song. I don't have to have any papers. I don't have to do any of that. 
the good old days of where I had to have some kind of light because we always had to have it really dark during worship. And so I couldn't see the words or the, the chords because it was too dark on my piece of paper. Eh, doesn't matter anymore. I have an app. I just pull it up, turn it on, play the song. Cool thing is that maybe I don't want to sing it in C today. I want to do it in D. I just slide my finger. Bam, we're in D. I don't have to spend 10 minutes in the back trying to figure out how I get from C to D. So technology's cool. I'm actually preaching from the iPad right now. There's a, an app that just puts everything in PDF form, and there it is. Technology's cool, right? Thing, the things of this world can be very, very cool. So what's the application? What are we leaving here with this morning? My challenge to you today, like I said, isn't to leave here beat up, bad about yourself, hanging your head. I'm a terrible Christian. I'll never be Paul. That's not my point. That's not where I want us to go. My challenge is for us as a church as, and as individuals is to begin to ask God, what are the things that we're holding on to? What is your everything? Honestly, uh, mine are the two girls that came up earlier. For being honest, I told you probably 99% of the stuff I can say are worthless. Even technology, I love it. But at the end of the day, I know it's worthless. But when you start talking about them, it's like, <laughs> hold on, buddy. Hold on, you're getting personal here. You know, um, I'm, not a, I'm not a violent guy. I don't, I don't think I made it through all of school without fighting. I'm, I don't know if that's just because I'm a scaredy cat or if people were afraid of me. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I had hair back then, so maybe I was menacing. But I actually made it all through school without fighting. I mean, I fought at home like crazy. Me and my older brother fought like crazy. My older cousin, we fought like crazy. But I was never really a fighter. I'm not really a fighter. I'll try my best to not fight. I will try anything I can to not fight you. But if you start messing with Teresa and Mia, <laughs> it's going to be on. Um, Matt Chandler, which is a, a pastor up in Dallas, he said um, the best day and the worst day of his life is when his first child was born. And um, he said in that moment he realized just how beautiful life was. He, he realized how much he could love but in the same moment, he, he realized how, how bad he is because he could rip the face off of another person. If somebody ever messed with that little girl, he said, I could physically rip their face off. <laughs> and any of you parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, somebody messes with your kids, it doesn't matter. You may five, be five foot three, but mm, it's going to be some stuff to pay for, right? Is it worthless? Are they worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ? I'm not saying they're worthless. I'm not saying your family's worthless. But can we say that everything else is worthless? I'm praying that over time, he'll help me to be able to say that my love for them is worthless compared to knowing him. Again, not that my love for them is worthless, but that my love for them is worthless compared to him. So what are the things you place worth in? What is stopping you from saying that everything else is worthless compared to knowing Jesus? You know, the one thing I love about Paul's writing uh, is he always turns it back to Jesus. He always somehow works Jesus back into the equation. So as we wrap up this morning, um, I just want to talk to the people who maybe haven't made a decision, haven't decided. We don't do altar calls here, so don't get nervous. I'm not going to make you come down front. Actually, I just want to plead with you to consider consider this good news 
for those of you who have already made the decision, I want to remind you that it is good news. I want to remind you of what's been done for you. Um, I want to remind you that you were guilty. Um, I want to remind you that you deserve death. Something that we skip over a lot in scriptures, it says that uh, God poured his wrath out on Jesus so much that they couldn't recognize him as a man. And that's hard to, I think, really wrap your mind around that God crushed him so bad, put so much on him that people looking at him couldn't really tell if he was a man or not. That was your wrath. So for you guys who are on the train, you're going down the tracks with this, I just want to remind you, this is good news. It's still good news. Maybe you're here and you're 70, 80 years old, you've been serving God for 50 years. It's still good news. It's still really good news. Maybe you're new and it's, uh, man, it's still exciting. It's going to be good news 10 years from now. I know a lot of times if you're here and you haven't made this decision, a lot of times us as Christians don't portray it as good news. Um, we, we spend a lot of times complaining and, and talking about, you know, things that don't matter. But in the end, the good news is the good news. You didn't have to pay for your sin. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Unrecognizable as a man. That's, that's, some, that's some wrath. So as we leave here this morning, um, if you haven't made that decision, if you've never considered it, if you've never did it, you're a big boy, you're a big girl, pray, ask God, talk to him. For those of you who have, just one more time, what is stopping us from saying that everything else is worthless compared to knowing him? Let's pray. God, I, I ask, Lord, that... Um, as we leave here this morning, we go into our Bible study and to lunch and go into this weekend um, with all the different celebrations and parties and everything. I ask God that you would find us in the quiet moments. I ask God that you would um, you'd speak to us. God, I ask that you begin to show us those things, those things that aren't worthless compared to knowing you. And I ask God that um, over time that you would begin to change us, that you begin to make us into men and women who could stand here as a church and as individuals and say, yes, everything else is worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus. God, that's our prayer. That's our hope. We know we can't do it without you. And we ask, Lord, that you would do that in us and through us. God, that you would use this church to reach not just this community but this world. God, we thank you for what you're doing at Carpenter's Way. We thank you, Lord, that we get to be a part of it. And God, we ask, Lord, that you would just open us up as we leave here this morning and speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's 1058. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess Bible study will start in about 10 minutes. You have a, have a good day.